0: It's the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm Chris Villardi, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement, and I don't just work here, I went here. I'm a proud 1995 grad. Our guest on this episode is Brandon Steiner, a 1981 Syracuse grad and a guy with a heck of a story. You probably know him as the king of sports collectibles. It's impossible to talk about that industry without mentioning Brandon Steiner. He revolutionized it. He'll give you the background and the whole story during our conversation, but let's just say Syracuse University may have been a bit of a stretch for Brandon. My friends looked at me when
1: I told them I was going to Syracuse, and they thought I was out of my mind. Like, why would you? what are you going to do up there? And I'm like, no, not only am I going up there, I ain't coming back. Forget about this kid. I'm not coming back to Brooklyn.
0: To say Brandon Steiner is driven would be an understatement. To say he's a hard worker might be underselling it. To say he got everything he possibly could out of his Syracuse University education and experience, well, that's exactly what he says he's done. When did Syracuse get on your radar as a place that you wanted to be?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I you know, my mother always said that, you know, we're all going to college, but none of us did. And I got to my senior year of high school and I, I really, you know, I had been working already for about seven, eight years. I've been working since I'm 10. So you know, my mother was already starting to cave in on the fact that maybe I didn't have to go to college, you know, that I was smart enough from a business standpoint and being able to make a living, you know, but when you're really, I hate to say this, but when your circumstances are really poor, you know, you're thinking long terms of whether you can go out there in the world and make it or not make it. You're not always thinking about the bigger picture, the long game. And, you know, I gone to my mom and I said, you know, look, I have no grades. I went to a specialized high school that somehow I, I got into. I had 760 on my boards and we had zero money. And I, I'm like, I, I don't even know how we can go to college. But at the time, my girlfriend is my wife now, was going to apply in all these Ivy League schools, which I was like, so I was like, maybe <laughs> I should just go to college, I guess, you know? And my mother said, Look, after I went to the guidance counselor, she told me that I wasn't really cut out for college. That really pissed my mother off. <laughs> and I was the kind of kid that could probably get through anything. And she actually said, look, you know, you could get you could get through this without going to college. Uh, but if you're going to go to college, you're going to get an accounting degree. And Syracuse would be the place to do it. Um, I said, Mom, it's, we have no money. Pass, fail. How are we going to do that? And she was like, well, you got to go up there. You got to make a sale. And um, it was the most expensive school in New York state, which she told me to find the most expensive school in New York state, which was Syracuse. <laughs> which was a private school that had accounting. So, and she's like, most people as poor as we are, don't have the balls to apply to a school like Syracuse. And I think if you can go up there and make us fail and show them how hard you've worked and that you're gonna work hard to get a degree, they may take a chance on you. And uh, that's how I ended up with Syracuse. You know, I, I, I did a one day trip, went to Utica, Syracuse and Ithaca. And uh, thank God that admissions lady, who I am so grateful for. I You know, she looked me in the eye when I gave her my story. She just said, wow, you're a very unusual young man. And uh, I'm going to try to see what I can do for you, see if I can get you in. And, you know, I got a lot of financial aid, some scholarships, and, and they, they took a chance on me, which, you know, school was not easy for me. But hmm. I, I was definitely not going to let it. I was definitely going to get through it. And uh, I did. And I got the accounting and personnel industrial relations degree, which. There is no way that I would have been able to run the companies I've been able to run and do the things I was able to do without having those degrees. I think I could have made a living, but my real goal was to run some companies and some big companies. And I know I needed that underlying education. I I wish I could go back and do it again because there's so much that in the big picture, and I wish kids would understand that, you know, school dollar for dollar, tiff for tat, tough, but in the long game, in the big picture, which is what you should always be playing the long game. You know, you just don't know what part of the whole school thing is gonna work out best for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, for Syracuse, it really was a huge, huge plus for me to take some of the classes I did and the benefits from some of those classes. I had no idea back then they were gonna help me as much as they did.
0: You know, and it's interesting too, you talk about obviously the classes and the education and the degree and how important that was. But I gotta believe that also, Having that attitude to be able to, to go up and, and sell yourself to the admissions person and say, look, you know, here's my circumstances. Here's what I want. Here's what I can bring to the table. That's as much of a benefit moving into the business world as, as anything as well. You got to have that behind you, too.
1: Well, I mean, it was three meals a day you know that was that was comforting, you know, to go up and get go to get a meal plan and, and eat like the way I ate. I, I remember that distinctly. And I think that was really important that, you know, when you go to a wealthy school with wealthy kids, you know, that was eye-opening. You know, I didn't understand really not that I lived in that poor neighborhood I didn't, but I really didn't understand all the different methodologies of how one can be successful. And you know, hmm. living in a, a at a place like Syracuse, where you see all these kids and their parents doing all these different things and then having access to that, having access to success, having access to some of the speakers that come up to school, and I took advantage of all of it, was really eye-opening for for a kid like me. Rather than getting into the pure hustle, I realized that education and hustle would get me much, much further than the straight-out hustle. So, you know, listen, you go to a place like Syracuse, I mean, you know, it was... I mean, you know, I was Brewster, which was at that time a relatively new dorm.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it was just a, you know, my, my friends looked at me when I told them I was going to Syracuse, and they thought I was out of my mind. <laughs> like, why would you, what are you going to do up there? And I'm like, no, not only am I going up there, I ain't coming back. <laughs> Forget about this kid. I'm not coming back to Brooklyn. like, you know, I knew that I needed to escape the neighborhood. I don't know if people understand how important it is to get out of your environment, to actually reach a little bit further than you probably sh- think you could or should yeah. and that's what Syracuse was for me it was like getting out of this you know all my friends went to local colleges most of them didn't go to college I was the first one to graduate from my family to, in college which is ironic because I was definitely the stupidest out of all of us <laughs> and uh you know I'm definitely the most successful person given the amount of talent I have that you're ever going to meet but you know it was for me it was like getting out of that environment is getting into a brand new environment that was far enough away from my house and then really learning how to learn like I really you know I, I, I got into education in high school so I went to a pass high school that was totally experimental and taught you the importance of learning and the enjoyment of learning but I went to college to really see how far you can go when you become teachable and when you want to learn and I started seeing a bunch of subject matters that really hit a hot button for me and they weren't all business yeah. you know I was really close to maybe going to get a sociology degree I was really interested in helping youth and helping kids and understanding how juvenile delinquency and how it could probably help kids in this world so i think that's a key factor um i was definitely into the consulting i was heavily into cooking um so you know i cooked at many co- at many kitchens at syracuse and i did a lot of different things i worked pretty much full-time through college which i i, I laugh now as my kids didn't work a day in college <laughs> and they complain how they have no time but you know like I, I worked full-time and i had some fun i mean it was a, you know, school was fun too. A lot of options with Greek life and everything. But sure. Uh, so I, I enjoy it. I try to take advantage. It's amazing when your back's against the wall. It's the only time when good things happen. I feel like every day at Syracuse, my back was against the wall to figure out the grades. Plus, I want to get my money's worth. You know, it was a right. fortune. I knew it was a lot. I wanted Greek life. I want to take advantage of speakers. I want to take advantage of the curriculum. You know, I was like, nonstop. Nah, stop.
0: And, and there's something too, and this is something that I hear from so many alumni. There's something about being in an environment like Syracuse and certainly a lot of the Newhouse people I talk to say this kind of thing where you're surrounded by people who are driven, people who are smart, people who want to do well in life. And, and it's hard not to be motivated by that. You want to, you know, you want to, to be driven and, and kind of be right along there with them. I mean, you, you get motivated by the people who are around you.
1: I think so. I mean, for me, the circus was diversity, um, and I like that. I I wasn't just in a really hardcore business school where everybody around me was business. You know, I remember even my freshman. There were a lot of kids in the art school. There were a lot of new house kids. There were a lot of Stumpies, you know, from the art, you know, yeah. kids from the architectural school. Um, so you know that I really enjoyed. You know, really seeing kids that were driven that I never would have ever come in contact with about, you know, drawing, all-nighters, you know, with all kinds of different art projects or economics projects. I really enjoyed the diversity with the school, not only from a curriculum standpoint, but a lot of international students, kids from all over the place. I didn't want to go to a school with a whole bunch of Brooklynites. Um, And, you know, I, I really felt like there was a tremendous diversity of people that I met from all over the place and that was really enjoyable to me because you know when you grew up in Brooklyn you really don't think there's anything else going on outside of Brooklyn everybody's <laughs> just a bunch of you know hicks and a bunch of just a bunch of idiots there's nothing going on outside of Brooklyn I mean you know it's a, it, and it is a large place and it is uh, an education itself to grow up in Brooklyn but you never <laughs> think of anything that would be any kind any of importance right. outside of
0: Brooklyn. It's your world. It's your, yeah. You're in a bubble. You're in the Brooklyn bubble. Yeah.
1: And, <laughs> and, and outside that world is, you know, there's nothing going on. So when you go up to Syracuse and you realize, you know, you're meeting international students, you meet meeting kids of all color. It was huge to me. I live, you know, listen, my freshman year, I lived with, uh, uh, my roommate was gay. You know, you know, back in 77, that was just not a common thing. My sophomore and junior year, I lived with a black uh, football player was you know white and black people didn't room together back then not that it was hostile that way but it was definitely separated you know I live with a black person I mean you know listen I'm not who would have known that you know living with a black football player would have played such a profound effect on me getting in the sports business and learning a little bit about the mindset of somebody of color you know and then staying at a black person's house you know with his like yeah like eight or nine brothers and sisters and you know all the stuff that goes on and you know let's you know it was all eye-opening uh, because my house was crazy but you know his house was crazy you yeah. know so those are things like you know, i don't know how you even put a price tag on those kind of learning experiences you know living with someone who's gay um living with someone who's black living in a fraternity for one year with maybe there was like two other jewish people in this fraternity <laughs> and that was a whole eye opener so i look at all those things as you know like there isn't one thing about a college experience that's Really, that important. It's a hundred million little things yeah. that really make a college degree what it is, and it, a lot of it is what you want to put into it. Now, again, my back's against the wall. I know what the price tag was. <clears throat> in my mind, I'm hostile. I'm like, I got to get everything I can out of this experience. So I was very focused on taking in the whole experience in every sense of the word, and that's why I still love uh, and I bleed orange because I did, and, and it was so uh, instrumental in my growth and in the springboard that's helped me become the person I am today.
0: What you have built in terms of uh, the the sports collectible industry, I mean, people think of sports collectibles, they're going to think first, I would be surprised if they don't, Steiner. That wasn't something you had a model for. I mean, this wasn't like, I'm going to follow in the footsteps of this guy or that guy. Like, this was not as much of a thing as it it certainly has become today. how did how did that all start to, to take root and, and grow?
1: It's a good question. And, you know, I wish I had the answer because there's so many different aspects to how this comes about. But, you know, I never really thought of anything from a really normal standpoint. I never really looked at any business that I'd gotten into the way a normal everyday person looks at it. So when I got into the sports business, which was in the early 80s, uh, you know, 83, 84, like wasn't that much of a sports business. So right. the hard part was really deciding as I fell into the sports business, after a good restaurant run, I really was trying to figure out what part of the sports business I wanted to get into, because there were so many paths. It was really like Christopher Columbus coming to America, like <laughs> where do you go first? And uh, so, you know, the marketing athletes was the first thing. And I'm glad I did that first. And I started that in the mid eighties, 86, 87. And I was just marketing players. Joe Morris was the running back at Syracuse. He was my roommate's <gasps> running my roommate was the fullback. So he kind of got me off and started. He just won the Super Bowl in 86. Yeah. And you know, I developed a lot of credibility. I found a million ways to market players. I mean, I, I don't know if there's anybody that does what I do from a marketing standpoint that's done as much athlete marketing in the width and the volume that I've done it over the last 30 years. I mean, I just looked at it completely different. Now Maybe some of that came from living with an athlete and just the way I, I viewed the opportunities that would arise for a player to make money and do things off the field. And then in the mid-90s, the collectible thing kind of fell on me that I was just really trying to expand the marketing opportunities. So I was just trying to think as a corporate marketing player. I wasn't thinking about building a Steiner collectible brand as much as I was enhancing opportunities for the athletes I was working with. I was doing two, 3,000 appearances a year. Yep. so i was busy you knew there so was a market making, for it i mean yeah was, i was creating the market for yeah. that like i was just coming up with all kinds of crazy ideas of how to use an athlete being a kid growing up i would have given my right arm to meet a professional player or to yeah. maybe get something a player's wearing and i always thought it would be really intriguing for me to figure out a way to get kids and get fans something really cool from a player including yeah. an autograph or something game used and i always remember you know, Ken Mandeville was the fullback and I always would take his football stuff. His I'd always try to snag his equipment and wear it. how cool <laughs> I thought that felt. You know, if I can go grab one of the guys' stuff, I'd wear a sweatshirt, I'd wear his t-shirts. And so, you know, I knew that feeling was like crazy. And uh, so I went, you know, as soon as I got the opportunity, I wanted to replicate that. And then I think that it was important for me um at the time i was doing all these appearances honestly i was just trying to expand on on the opportunity so when i book a player i added on a collectible aspect of it there was really no collectible business at that point
0: right there
1: was an auction here and there and then there was you know a little bit of collectibles here and there some signature stuff but don't nobody really organized everything and there were a lot of frauds in the mid-90s so i thought there was an opportunity to clean up the business and organize it in a way so that people could collect uh, things in a, in a dignified way and in a safe way. So that was kind of the fun part. I don't recommend it for all those out there. <laughs> I always say you're better right off being an improver than an inventor. And a lot of things I invented, you know, were not easy, uh, because you started from scratch, and you're trying to convince people of something they haven't seen before. So it wasn't an easy going at the beginning especially even my wife was like, who's going to buy an autograph ball? How are you going to support our family doing that? <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't an easy, you know, easy peasy kind of methodology to what I was doing, but I knew the little kid in me would do anything to get a Mickey Mantle ball or to get, you know, something like that. So, you know, I followed my heart on that. And I always say, I always try to think as much as I can like an 11 year old, because that, a- that mindset is unbelievable.
0: That, that is you know, as a part of it, and I was that 11 year old kid, you know, collecting baseball cards, looking for autographs, that kind of thing. Um, one of the kind of, I don't know if it's a criticism or a complaint of the business is that that 11 year old kid sometimes kind of gets boxed out by, you know, by the big collector, by the, by the person who kind of sweeps in and takes all that stuff. Um, how have you tried to, to make sure that 11 year old kid still has access?
1: Well, you know, I, what I, what I did, and to a lot of people's uh, dismay, really, was trying to come up with a lot of different price points and a lot of different versions of collecting. So, you know, selling the dirt, selling, I've done a lot of inexpensive autograph stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a starter kit for the kid. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been tricky, though, you know, because what's happened is as the players' salaries grow and go... Their access becomes a little more difficult, and they expect to get paid more. So I would say, you know, the point you bring up is a good one, and it's a challenge. It's it's been a challenge. It's still a challenge. Um, it's something that I'm probably not satisfied with at this point. Uh, my new company, Collectible Exchange, really gives uh, kids probably a better opportunity to understand the value of a dollar. Almost look at it where they can really see things for what they are. So in the marketplace that's that I created you can really look at the differentials of things you may have bought with your parents or bought on your own and what they're really selling for um what's real and not real um so it's an ongoing process it's funny because i felt so strongly about your question that in the early 2000s i opened up an ice cream store called last licks opened up nine of them Mm -hmm. and it was learning it's just creativity knowledge and sportsmanship. It was a sports bar for kids. And it was an ability to get that first autograph in the kids hands. And it was completely catered to the 10, 11 year old kid, eight, nine, 10. And it was just an opportunity where we had uh, athletes go to the store and the flavors and the ice creams were named after the players and there were TVs. You know, it was very, very aggressive. Probably one of my best ideas that I didn't succeed at, you know, I'm not in that business anymore. I sold those off, but it was, you know, like every business is tough and I couldn't run Steiner and this at the same time. But um, I love that business because I I just think as a whole, I don't think we could spend enough time focusing on kids from every aspect, from business, education, social justice. I mean, I I don't think we can go into enough neighborhoods and spend enough time doing as much as we can for younger kids to get them thinking the right way um, and giving them an opportunity to speak up and, and, and give them as much, I always say kids have rights so one of my goals with this new company, um, uh, Collectible Exchange, is to do more good, do a lot of children's charity out, you know, outreach, do as much as I can, you know, locally and as much as I can for kids charities with some of the players I'm working with. Um, and that goes back to Syracuse, you know, the sociology degree where I did a whole program with a juvenile delinquency home up there and got into a delinquency home and interviewed kids and interviewed the the, uh, people working there. And it's, I I just think like you have so many problems in this world, but a lot of them could be nailed right then and there with paying attention more to younger kids uh, with education, nutrition, opportunity, uh, you know, just getting them equal. You know, I I just feel so horrible that so many kids now came get an equal education When they're young. So it's one of my goals and keeps me motivated to work because working is optional for me now. And I thought about retiring when I thought about opening this new company a year ago. One of the things was the ability to take the money I make and do more good.
0: And that's, you know, in talking with you in the past, I know that that's something that's important to you. And, you know, maybe that the a little bit older than the 10 11 12 year olds but but the college kids one of the things that that I know is important to you and your your ongoing connection with Syracuse is the opportunity to come and speak to today's students um, what what type of messages are important for you when you when you do get a chance to speak with them
1: well first I love going up and uh, you know I feel right at home when I go to Syracuse <laughs> and speak I go to many even my first book I probably went to 50 colleges to speak so I'm pretty committed to getting into the classrooms and talking with kids, just because my story is probably realistic to them. Um, It's a a story that I think they could absorb in and digest. But my main message to kids is don't wait. You know, don't wait. Like, you know, you need to go and work hard and not wait till you graduate, not wait till later on. I'm thinking you got more time. Like, I always thought my time was, you know, I remember I was like 17 at the time. Like, damn, if I live to like 80, you know, I still got a little ways to go. I got man, I got to get going. I can't <laughs> waste any time. So I really try to impress upon them that they can be building their brand. They can be building up success, even though they may not see it. You know, there's a whole process that you can do, even when you're in high school and college of networking and, and different things you can do. I love what I see now in school as opposed to maybe 10 years ago, I think the kids are just hedging shoulders over anything I've seen in the 20 years that have been going up and speaking at schools. Mm. Um, the kids are much more aggressive they are and as patient they're looking at you know I talked to freshmen they're already looking at all different types of opportunities, reaching out, meeting people. I'm very impressed now with the change over what I see with a lot of kids. now my one knock on it is maybe they get information and some of the answers to their questions they think they get too easily. And therefore they think they know it, but there's one thing is, you know, it's one thing to know what to do is thing how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of them now know how to do certain things, but they don't have the experience of how to do it. And, uh, but it's still a nice advantage. And, uh, I, I give the kids a lot of credit for being able to find information, get information quickly. And I really like the attitude. I, I think the entrepreneurship right now is, you know, we, you know, we opened up, uh, 600,000 new businesses before the, uh, virus and we closed 750, you know, we need small business in this country. And a lot of that feeds off entrepreneurship. I was a serial entrepreneur in high school and college, (laughs) like you wouldn't believe. And I love what I see now in high schools and colleges, kids that are 15, 16, opening up businesses, making money, because you could do that in your basement. You could do that in your dorm room and still do your schoolwork, still, you know, carry on so i think it's just incredibly important that we rebuild and kind of get back the entrepreneurship in this country and i think with all the changes going on is as bad as things are right now there is a golden opportunity for young ones to go and, and be a lot more entrepreneurial than they've ever been and this country needs it we must must get more entrepreneurial which that means we're getting better we're growing we're doing things better we're doing things different and you know, my always question to all the kids when I go and speak to them is like, why are we here? <laughs> you're only here for two reasons. One is to do whatever it is you're doing better than you did yesterday and to get better and to get smarter and to be better. And the other thing is to help others. Right. You know, that's kind of, what, that's, I mean, the only reason I think we're here is like help other people, you know, take your influence, take your power, take what you know and figure out how you can help the next person to help your community. And then, you know, beat yesterday, man. Like, don't, don't just because you're smart and you got into college. Okay. Well, how can you beat that? Right. And then, you know, so I've always been a, you know, what else and beat yesterday kind of guy.
0: Yeah. And, and, and one of the, the things too, is, you know, you're not shy about, about sharing that, sharing your story, whether it's talking to students, whether it's in a book, I mean, you want others to kind of learn from, from your successes and, and from your mistakes along the way. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. I
1: try. I mean, you know, some of my stories are more compelling than others. Um, and I hope that the stories of some of them are so, I mean, I, what I love is when somebody comes to me and they say, "Brandy, I read your book. I got to tell you, man, you know, this was that, nothing really that complicated because sometimes you read those sales and self-help books, inspiration books, and you're like, that was a good book, but I have no idea how I can put that in play. <laughs> and one of the things I'm really proud about my three books is that there is nothing in those three books that the average normal human being, can't put in play now you may not agree or disagree but there's nothing like where well, you need a spreadsheet a chart a calculator a, you know all you need it's a straight line particularly the first book because you know when I got out of school I couldn't get a job and I was I mean, worked so hard I was so bummed and imagine the arrogance I say to myself you know one day when I figure out how to get this job thing down so I said I will figure it out I'm going to write a book and explain to the kids how they can prepare themselves better in high school and college to get the job. So I really love my first book, The Business Playbook, because it really outlines what kids can really do simply yeah. to prepare themselves for that senior day when they graduate so that plenty of people are looking to hire them. And I think a lot of that stuff in that book still pertains today. And I just think back when I laugh, like, Brandon, you couldn't even find a job. You're already talking about writing a book about how, how others could do it. <laughs> And it frustrated me and I got shingles my senior year. I was a nervous wreck, uh, I was a mess. And yeah, you know, I just really didn't think I was gonna make it. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm gonna end up being a sanitational engineer or something.
0: It's crazy. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, but that's the thing is you get those bumps in the road and you know, especially if you're a serial entrepreneur, <laughs> you figure out solutions. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about saying, yeah. all right, here's the challenge. Here's the, here's the problem, here's a solution. And uh, and, and how how do you move that way?
1: You want to be a solution-based business person and, you know, try to help people solve their problems. And even goes back, you know, living with that football player who, you know, I saw many Mm -hmm. problems on his side of it in his getting prepared for potentially playing professional or just going out in the real world. You know, I do as much work as I can with the Syracuse Athletics now. You know, Coach Beheim is amazing. The guy is, uh, I love him and love what he's created and done. And I love the fact that I'd be able to, every now and then, jump in and help a player, current or former, find their way, knowing a little bit about how it works and how frustrating it can be. Sometimes when a player doesn't quite get there, or even if he does get there, with the experience I have. And I've been able to work with Quentin Hellsman with the women's team a bunch, um, love the women's team. And, and also, again, you know, mentoring some of the girls and trying to show them how to, how sports and business kind of work side by side. So. You know, I love the commitment that Syracuse has to athletics and, and, and I love our facilities. I love going up there and, and working with some of the coaches. And I love the opportunity where I can actually jump in a little bit with time to time with some of the coaches and players to give them a little more guidance. And that's really where the Fox School comes in handy. You know, I was the chair of that board and started that school with Michael Vealey. And then David Fox stepped in and just took it to a whole nother level, which we're very grateful for his guidance. And, you know, so it gives me a little more of a platform even to jump into, particularly with the athletes, to show them uh, in some of our curriculum at the Fox School with the sports management program, how we can help some of the athletes and how we can actually give you some more guidance on the business part of sports as they're killing themselves to hopefully make it to the pros one day. I try to bring them over to the school part of it all which I think a lot of the coaches do the same yeah. and it's a nice advantage for the school and it's a nice advantage for the student athlete which I'm really proud of that the athletic department sees that cuz sometimes the, you know the coaches are so focused on the game but they see the sports management department as an asset to the athletic department and I love the way the the Fox school has grown you know David Falk yeah. being one of the most popular agents of all time really can articulate you know both sides of it, so that we've been able to create some courses and seminars to show kids um, how they could benefit off the field if they make it, and prepare them for in case they don't make
0: it. And we just had some great graduation numbers coming out of out of the university, which is it's everything. I mean, you know, right? it's, I mean, it's, it's something every, to be proud. Everything. Yeah, with, with student athletes, yeah. and 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 you're able to to marry kind of the two here when we talk about the dome roof collectible and <laughs> and and you know offering that to, to fans and to alumni but also being able to provide something back to the athletics to, um, department well, as well as part of that.
1: Well, the average person sits back and they're like, you know, what's this guy doing with the roof and what does that mean? But, you know, it goes back to the dirt You I know, sold over $50 million of game used dirt. And it's not about the dirt. It's about, you know, the Joe DiMaggio's and the Mantles and the Yogi bearers and the Jeter's that have walked on that dirt. <laughs> it's not about the vinyl or the roof, but if you went to Syracuse and you live up in Syracuse, you understand What's gone on in that building? How important that dome has been, upstate New York, and what some of the amazing events that's gone on, and and why not relive those memories time and time again? Why I'm I'm sure they built a nice roof on there, but my thing is like, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going on in that building. I'm not ready to forget about it. That's I mean, right. Some oh, of yeah. my most favorite sporting things have ever happened in that building, and I was there for the first game ever there for the last game at archibald and everything else duke syracuse and blah 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 but i'll be honest with you when i took over the vinyl of the roof i didn't really think i was going to do much (laughs) i mean i wasn't sure about this one i mean i have sold the court and i still have the 2003 court like i said i've sold bricks and dirt and grass and i I don't know about this but you know there's nothing like the syracuse faithful (laughs) and uh, we put together a really good product line it helps that i have two very serious Syracuse alums with me in my office (laughs) so we have a lot of fun brainstorming on these ideas I tend to hire I mean why why would I hire anybody but a Syracuse grad but I try to hire a few other people but I always try to hire Syracuse people why not but you know we come up with some really cool ideas the coach has been amazing Uh, John Wildhack's been incredibly supportive of the product line because it takes the support of the school to believe in your insanity to some degree of what I'm gonna go create with it to help you market in and promote it. So, you know, John and, and Andrew Goodrich and Rachel, they've all been really big helps. Um, and, you know, some of our imagination went a little wild. Like we, you know, we, we take the dome seriously. If, and, you know, so if they do that around the country, fine. If they don't, you know, that's, that's okay. It's our dome and awesome. uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna let it go to waste.
0: I think it also means something to uh, to them that you know that it's it's a guy who's who's given back in a lot of different ways to the university that's kind of shepherding this process too, right? I mean, it's it's not it. like let's yeah. go out and make a ton of money off the dome, but let, but let's also find a way that we can put that right back into this program and into the student athletes, and 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 that's I think yeah. an important part of this. Well, thank you. There, there's a spirit to it all.
1: I'm gonna do it big Syracuse auction. We've never done anything like this, but I've gone all the biggest Syracuse collectors around the country. And uh, in January, we're going to put together a big, big, it'll be the third week of January, a really big auction from Ernie Davis to Jim Brown, to pieces of the dome, Boeheim ties of coach. You know, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm over the top with my Syracuse love, but there's some really cool Syracuse fanatics out there. And uh, no doubt. as an alumni, I like showing off my cues. You know, I have no problem. Um, you know, I'm sitting with. I don't use many other things than an orange, Syracuse <laughs> orange pencil. I got my orange markers. Most of my notes are in orange, especially when I send them to like guys like Patrick Ewing, you know, I sign. I, I sign every check in orange, go keys, and <laughs> every letters written in orange. You know, it's nothing like the Georgetown Syracuse rivalry, especially when I can you know poke a little. But um, absolutely. So yeah, I'm having fun. I mean, listen, you know, um, I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm still having fun with the whole brand, and I still think you know, the block S, you know, the block Syracuse S is still, you know, me- meaningful to me.
0: Yeah. There, and, and I think, you know, that that's um, meaningful. It, it is. It's meaningful to a lot of people. And, you know, I think in hearing your story, there's no one thing, like you said, it's a million little things that kind of goes into it. It's it's your experience on campus. It's your experience with the education. It's your experience socially. It's your experience after college. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's athletics. It's kind of that whole picture. And, 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 you know, if, if you could sum up what it means to be orange to you personally, I mean, I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do, right? Well, well first
1: thing I wanna say is back to your first question is, I think we all realize how complicated academics and college academics and athletics are, you know, and how hard it is right. when you're taking responsibility of all these kids and, and the safety of them and all the things that go into putting on the show. I think we've all now been introduced to the depth of what it takes to, to open up the doors of a college and the, and the pressure that's on a chancellor or a president between all the risks and, and safety issues and things that can happen, it's no easy task. Uh, you know, These are young young people who are trying to convert into men and women. You know What it means to go to Syracuse is it's, it's about a fraternity of people that bleed orange, that, that believe in higher education and having some fun, believe in athletics, but also about learning and about the, you know the real student athlete. I love that a lot of our kids graduate and we're, we take our athletics seriously but to the point of where uh, academics plays a role. So you know to me you know being a Syracuse Orange alumni is a big deal. Uh, I wear it proud. I, I enjoy the relationships I have still to this day with people I went to school with and also even alumni that, that I meet uh, through oh. some of the boards and some of the other things. You know it's fun. So I love the direction the school is going in. Um, Chance has done an amazing job. I want to say I, I follow him, um, you know, we're completely two different type of people. But, you know, he, I think he's amazing. I think what he's done up there, I wish more alumni would get up there as soon as we can, because when you see the construction and, and the evolution of the of the campus and with some of the things he's done to even make the school even better from an academic standpoint and better just from a whole capital physical standpoint, I mean, I think the guy's just amazing. I'm a big fan of his. Um, And I find it funny because I wasn't a majorly academic guy when I went up to Syracuse. And now I just appreciate the academics so much more even. And so I can appreciate the chancellor even more now than ever because I know how serious he is about taking our school to the highest academic level. I tend to get a little biased sometimes with the sports stuff, but I'm equally now about my academics and sports pro- process, because I want all the programs to be like Newhouse. You know what I mean? I, and I think that we have the ability to take some of the colleges up there and take them to the Newhouse level. So that look, Syracuse is almost like a, almost like an Ivy League type of school. I feel like to get in a fog is almost like an Ivy League level uh, admittance. You almost need Ivy League levels to get there. And I think there's some other programs that are right there as well. So. The proof's in the pudding, you know. Our grade point averages as the school is up, Uh, our grade point averages as overall school is up, and uh, I give a lot of credit to the chancellor. And it's funny hearing that from me because I struggled, you know. I mean, you know, my (laughs) two seven five Q was like me really working. Like it wasn't like that came easy. But um, I love you appreciate it. You 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 know you know goes into it. I love that Syracuse still to this day gives kids like me a shot, which is why I invest a lot of my scholarship to keep that legacy going. And and I'm grateful to other people that do the same. Like Syracuse is known for giving kids like me a shot. Not every school, they may talk it, but they don't walk it. I love that Syracuse gives kids like me a shot. And uh, believe me, I would look at myself even as a long shot, but why not take some long shots, you know? And... I'm grateful that I'm able to come back and and show that Syracuse made a good decision.
0: And we're grateful for Brandon Steiner and that he continues to support Syracuse University and its students. We've got links in the description of this episode if you'd like to learn more about Brandon and his businesses. And we thank you for listening to the Cuse Conversations podcast and encourage you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. I'm Chris Velarde. Stay safe, stay well, and go Orange.